I like the way you're answering the questions because what what I'm seeing you doing is I ask you a question and then you're asking yourself another question and answering that and then that's when you go into more detail. I've kind of picked it up um, from the way you're answering these. So it's really actually, it's actually really cool. Um, you've mentioned Gucci a couple of times. Do you shop there or no? No, um, I don't. I don't own anything Gucci. Um, they're just, I'm, I'm working with a... Um, it's it's basically couture equest, uh, equestrian brand at the moment, and we've d- despite them not necessarily wanting to compare themselves to Gucci, the reality is that's kind of the best comparison out there at the moment in terms of the who the market is because um, not everything in Gucci is like four or five thousand dollars you can go in there and you can get a Gucci wallet for like three or four hundred dollars you can get um, belts and scarves and sunglasses and you can rock Gucci for less than a grand but if you want a backpack yeah it's going to be two and a half grand if you want the hiking boots yes it's eighteen hundred dollars um, you know, if you want one of their shirts, yes, it's going to be a multi-hundred dollar shirt. That's it's just what it is. Um, I, do you know why? Do you know why though? Like just moving on from marketing for a second, do you know why the brands are so expensive? Because I don't know if it's the labor. I don't know if it's, we're human. So, well, okay, no, that that's part of it. <laughs> I, I used to be very snobby to brands, but I, after coming back from the States, I've been introduced to the world of high fashion and, Mm. now kind of understand a a lot better than I I used to. So I I may still potentially butcher the the truth behind it, but I'll do my best to answer that. Um, Do do you remember when the iPhone app store came out and there there was an app on there which was an icon of a diamond and it was $900? It didn't do anything. It was just. Oh, I a, think yes. I actually do. I re- I don't remember the diamond, but I remember there was one app that was stupid expensive. I yeah. do. Yeah, so it was like a diamond or something. Um, it didn't do anything. It was just a ludicrously expensive app, and they made a lot of money. Um, and the the reason for that is um, while we are all born excuse me, as relatively blank slates, we grow up in in various cultures which value certain things. And by the time we're seven, a lot of our really core personality um, beliefs around worthiness and deserving and all that sort of stuff is is really ingrained in us. So if, if you take that and you then extrapolate forwards 20 30 years you end up with someone who now is is living in a society which is potentially in the same phase or a different phase or transition or whatever and then they have a job they have money they can do things that they want to do but they're they're operating from the point of view of this like five-year-old kid that wants the shiny toy that their sister took off them now their sister doesn't have a great job so they can go out and buy something from Gucci and put a picture on Facebook because na 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 na. It's it's not quite that simple, but the things that drive us can be really really weird. And high end brands survive off the fact 
that people want to belong to an exclusive group of people that are like them. Because the moment you buy something from Gucci, you have Gucci. The vast majority of the population doesn't. Do you think that people care more about other people's opinions than their own? I think a lot of people do. Um, And I, I just want to caveat that as well, like, Quality does come into it to some degree. Um, And I think China is definitely disrupting this, but I suspect they will never completely disrupt it until we all have AI overlords or some sort of universal income or whatever. But um, to go back to the equestrian brand, like they're, they're handmade Italian boots. It takes six weeks to make these things. They're, the leather's custom sourced, the imprinting, everything's done by hand, all the stitching. You, they have to take 12 different measurements in order to have the, the riding boot fit your, leg, uh, your, your foot and your calf correctly. And they've got literally thousands of possible combinations for, for how this boot will end up looking. So it's highly customizable. Uh, their price point is actually quite low. It's lower than Hermes, for instance. Um, which is just a stiff boot, and that's it. Um, but the, the quality is comparable. Um, and so here you have a really good example of, of someone who, so Hermes is a made, massive brand. It's all luxury. Um, their boot is, is $4,000. Then you have my client. Their boot is like $800 what is the the difference or the difference in that situation isn't going to be so much to do with quality that is going to come down to vanity or a need to belong or whatever nice way you want to sugarcoat that it's it's if you're looking at two comparable things and and they are identical in in all meaningful ways aside from price the only reason you would pick the more expensive one is something in your brain says I'm going to feel better buying the more expensive one. Status. That, that's that's it. Mm. Have you ever thought about being I don't know, this is kind of a weird question. <laughs> you know. Um have you ever thought about um buying things like that for other people's satisfaction? Or not for other people's satisfaction, but for other people's opinion of yourself? Um I'm I'm actually an introvert by nature. Um mm. so un- until About 10 years ago, I started to come out of my shell a little bit and um, the, I started to care more about what, what people thought about me. And very recently, I've realized that this has been rather detrimental to who I am as a person. So um, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna, there's, a, there's a particular watch that I really want from TAG. Um, I've had a, a Casio watch for, for years um, I have it somewhere. I need to get a new battery for it and a new strap. I don't currently wear a watch. I just got an iPhone. Perhaps I should get an Apple watch. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I want the tag watch. Why do I want the tag watch? Because I personally think it looks cool. And <laughs> it's it's something ludicrously special that just has immense sentimental value for me. My uncle was a, notchmaker, a watchmaker. Um he, he had the store that I brought my Casio watch from. I saved up to buy that. So watches have a certain significance to me. 
And, and for me to be able to buy that, there is a whole bunch of other things that would need to be in place. So it's not so much about buying a $8,500 watch. It's about who I would have to be and where, where my business needs to be in order for me to not freak out about doing that, if that makes sense. So How I'm going to get eight and a half grand. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, I was at uni once, um, this is a, a while back, and someone was wearing a Rolex. Um, I don't know, weirdly, I, like I asked him, can I try it on? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, his, like his wife bought it for him. And I literally met this guy for like three seconds. I was sitting next to him. I was like, can I try it on for you, man? Like, can I try it on? He was like, yeah. I put it on and I was like, man, this is kind of shit, to be honest with you. Like, this is a piece of metal. It's fucking green. The colors are disgusting. And I was like, man, this is like, ten, this is $10,000. And I searched it. And I was like, my God, like, I don't know. Like, you could have bought a car or some shit. And then at least, like, okay. So I know people that are actually buy watches and sell them. Because I know that they hold value. The tag, what you're thinking about, does that? What? How is that like? Does it hold value as well, like Rolexes? Um, yeah, they hold their value, their value fairly well. Um, mm. They're they're not mass manufactured per se. Um, they have uh, quite an interesting program around being an owner, which is quite interesting. And this this is actually where a lot of luxury brands have sort of provided value in a different way um, where, so we were looking at getting a, a Lexus for instance. And when we, after we did the test drive or whatever, we were talking with them and the, they were saying, you know, the, the Lexus owner program is the main reason why people go for a Lexus over a Toyota. Now, the high-end Toyota is better than the low-end Lexus in terms of features. And it's also slightly cheaper, I think. Um, mm. My my dad bought a, a beautiful Lexus a couple of uh, years ago, but can I ask what that program is? I'd never even heard of it. So if you so you, you're gonna um, you got a Lexus, you're going on a business trip, whatever, you drive it to the airport and you valet it. And Lexus have an agreement where at pretty much any international airport in most of the developed world, uh, you can drive your Lexus there and so long as you prearrange it with them, someone will be there to pick it up, take it back to their undercover storage, and they will detail it for you while you're away. And if it needs to be serviced, they'll also service it for you while you're away. And then when you get back, they'll drive it back to you. Okay, that's fire. That is a amazing level of customer service. That is, like, is, I I've not had any other test drive which ended with someone saying, "We'll drive you from you know, we'll drive your car away and back to the airport and look after it for you, so you don't have to pay for parking at B and E, which is just ludicrous, by the way." <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. I mean. I do remember going to the dealership and everyone, I don't know that the vibe was uh, really nice, but I didn't know about that. Um, I want to I want to ask you about something. You talked about, and this is me changing the topic, 360. And by the way, we're literally on the phone for 40 minutes now, so I'm not going to waste too much of your time. Um, so sorry if this uh, drags on a little bit. 
Love it. Thank you for that. I hope you are, actually. Um, you talked about AI before. You made a small comment and you said something like, if we were not um, attached with AI or something. So I've heard this thing where, um, and I think it was Elon Musk that talked about it. He was saying that in the future, there's going to be a time where, look, right now everyone's walking around with their phones, like pretty much your phone is you and especially when you look when you're sitting on the train and you look around it's kind of scary actually now like everyone is like and i know this is like cliche everyone's on their phone but if you actually look around it's kind of scary when you kind of look at it on on, in the macro point of view but um they're saying that you're gonna have your phone but your phone won't be physical it will be in your mind and you can use your phone without actually having something to hold so what are your thoughts on that do you think that's somewhere what do you think the future of um mobile phones are going to look like the future of mobile phones um or future of technology and it's a completely different thing (laughs) (laughs) but highly related um oh this this is not the first time i've been asked this question on a podcast um so elon specifically is is probably referencing Neuralink which would make sense because it's one of his companies. Um, And if they are successful and been able to do what it looks like they're going to be able to do, um, I don't know if you saw the video that was released three or four days ago from them. Um, Pretty damn impressive. But anyway... If, wait, 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 no, 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 I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let you go through that. Can tell, please tell me. I didn't know about this. Um, what so the hell did they release? They released a promo. Elon did a small speech, um, and they released a promo and showed the progression progression of the Neuralink technology for, um, for the past four years or something. And they've now got it to a point where they have this uh chip for lack of a better word which is i think five millimeters across in diameter which has a hundred neural lines which are i forget they're smaller than a human here they're like 10 microns or something. I'm not sure how wide they are, but they're damn small. Um, and they've, what they've built is this robot, which can uh, cut a little hole into your skull and then extremely precisely thread these, these, wires i guess to certain cortexes and the the goal is to have about 10 of these implanted um and they they operate in i'm guessing some sort of low low power bluetooth or something but you can control um your your phone a mouse on your phone with it and as they continue what they're hoping to do is to be able to map not only to the motor cortex um, but the also the visual and auditory cortexes as well which would allow them to 
Um, so the, the first step is to have read, which is being able to control something. The next step is, is write. So if, if you can imagine, and it's, it is kind of creepy, but if you can imagine having uh, like a daydream, but it was a YouTube video, that that's kind of where they're going in a way. And that shit is crazy. It is. It's crazy. But what's even more crazy is last year, um, researchers transmitted a thought between two people in a non quote. I'm using air quotes here in a non-invasive fashion, which is to say, there was no surgery involved with it. You had to sit in these chairs, and there was stuff that had to read your brain waves, but. Person A is sitting in a chair looking at a screen with something on it, the word yes, for instance, and person B is across the room sitting in a chair, can't see that screen, and has uh, options up on the screen and then says what they think the other person um, was saying. And the device interprets the brainwaves and transmits them to the other person and, and broadcasts them using um, the radio frequency or electromagnetic field in, into the person's brain. Uh, and then they successfully transmitted single words this way. You said they were attached with a wire? No, they're not attached to a wire. This, this was... Complete, there was no surgery involved in this in this research that was done. How long ago is this? This was the middle end of last year. How soon do you think... And by the way, to everyone that's listening, um, if you can explain Neuralink in one to two sentences, how would you explain it? It is meant to be a brain interface for technology. We have the cerebral cortex and then we have the mammalian brain. Neuralink is meant to be a third layer over the top of our current brain that will enable us to have a much higher bandwidth to interact with the internet and technology and devices and theoretically manipulate our reality. So, for example, search Google with your like without doing anything. Just search Google in your head. Yes. Yep. Hundred yeah. percent. Do Do you think that would cancel out the education system in a crazy way? I think the current education system is already cancelled, and the only reason we have it is because, as a society, we're all way too terrified to move away from it. Mm. Well, I wouldn't say I have strong canceled. feelings about the education system. Uh, yeah, I do, I do too. <laughs> we, I mean, you still need it in the sense that learning to, to write and, and basic math is important, but the, the topics being taught aren't necessarily applicable, even in private schools. And we're, we're teaching people not to think for themselves. We're only just starting to see the, the formations of critical thought in, in state education in Australia, but we're still testing to a standard, which has been shown time and time and time again to be the worst possible thing you can do. So it's, really, it's very messed I, up. I really think, I really, really think there's a big top, uh, thought in my head. I think that school contributes too much to depression and too much to people's sadness because there are, I think, 
like almost like 90% of students that are graduating don't know what the hell to do with their life. And the reason for that is they're not given the opportunity to find out when they're in school. I would say um, that's incorrect education because you can not know what to do, but you can be fine with it. You can understand that you have the skills to make it work no matter what. Yeah. What that I was is, thinking. That's very different. The way I was thinking, and that's an idea to, to, for example, fix that, I think there should be 50 to 60 type of classes, and I know financially that's something hard to do. Um, but imagine there was like 50 different topics that you can choose, design, marketing, um, sports, and each sport, and like so many editing and vocals and things like that, so many creative kind of topics that people can learn in school, but like on a wide angle where it's like 50 different ones, not just two. Um, people do this already. This is the thing. This is why I say it's already starting to be redundant because kids go on YouTube. My, my son was making um, play YouTube videos from his PlayStation. Um, mm. my, my daughter is seven years old and she wants to learn graphic design. So my girlfriend is just very gradually showing her little things that, are of the foundations it, it she's not she's in one of the best schools on the sunshine coast and she's not going to touch graphic design she'll touch art but she's not going to touch graphic design and we've gone so pc that being critical of people's work is now hard because it you, you need to fail to know how to improve. Mm. But when you're taught to have all of your self-esteem tied up in an external world, failure is very expensive emotionally. And until our, our education system teaches people that no matter what, they deserve to be here. They're all children of the stars, to, to paraphrase the poem. Um, and, and that at the end it doesn't really matter. We are all going to die. And, well, unless we upload our consciousness or whatever, but that's a different issue because um, <laughs> our neuroses will, will be uploaded as well. Um, so therapists are going to have a job for a while to come. Um, but, you know, un unless we're we're educating people to believe in themselves and to have faith in themselves and not put their value in other people's hands, we're, we're always going to have issues. And it's not just that's not just first world. There are third world countries which have these issues because of the way our society is. But there are pockets, there are tribes which have vastly different ethos in their culture and they don't have these issues because they view the world differently. Um, so I, I think there are solutions, but I, I don't think that they are easy to implement where we are right now. Mm. Do you, um, okay, let's, let's see. Okay. Without canceling school, because there needs to be something to. I think there should be something, but I, yeah, I, the, uh, yeah. I think it should be different. What do you think? What do you think should be different? I think student driven education should be seriously looked into. Um, there's a great documentary called The School. It's in Russian. Um, it's very interesting. 
has that poses some very very interesting questions. Um, I think we in Australia and New Zealand. Um, I'm not even going to talk about the states. God help them. Um, could take a page out of Switzerland's books and the Netherlands, for instance. But I, I think there needs to be a, a majority, whether it's in, in Parliament or from the public, which then influences Parliament or whatever, there needs to be some sort of um, shift towards teaching critical thought, which is starting to happen, and emotional intelligence, which isn't really happening, and uh, financial intelligence at a bare minimum, at a bare minimum. And you don't need to learn algebra in high school. Honestly, you don't. It's pointless. Um, There's no point in learning calculus. Like most of the high school curriculum should be, in my opinion, as not so humble as it might be, um, should really be focused on figuring out what the hell it is you're good at and what you like doing. Yeah. And and that should be a very introspective time because, honestly, if you look at it from a, a biological standpoint, it's freaking introspective anyway. You're going through so much change. You don't know who you are. You're discovering. You want to be trying new things. One week you like pizza, the next week you don't. Well, that's probably not true, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really uh, rough time, and to be learning stuff you don't care about and can't understand how it's going to be useful, which in reality most, most of it isn't, it, it doesn't help. But if you give them the opportunity, like you say, like maybe that's where the 50 different options should come in, where it's, it's, you have these overarching um, curricula, so to speak, but the students um, drive it. So there's a bunch of students that like art. And so instead of having to go to English and having to go to math and having to go to art and having to go to social studies and whatever, they, what they do is they come up with this, this idea that they want to do and they take that to the teacher and the teacher goes, okay, here is the structure that I need in order to be able to say yes. How can you make this project fit that structure? So then the kids go back and they talk about it and they go, okay, here's what we want to do. We want to start an Etsy store where we're going to get um, local people and it's all going to be exclusive. They're all going to be one-offs. And what we're going to do is we're going to write a report on it. We're going to write a business plan on it. We're going to do profit and loss projections. We're going to go out to, um, you know, paint supply stores and canvas supply. And we're going to get everything. We're going to do a full business plan. We're going to do a thread analysis and spot and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And so they basically drive their project in a way where someone who knows what they're looking for rather than trying to shove something down someone's throat goes, yes, okay, they've shown literacy. Yes, they've shown mathematic aptitude. Yes, they've shown creative thought. Yes, they've um, shown artistic flair. Um, they've considered the social impacts. They've, you know, if you look at it from that point of view, I think things would be massively different. Mm. That was a really good um, insight that you put in there. Um, do you, okay, so finding what you want to do is obviously really, really hard. Like that's, 
Okay, let me change the topic because I, I forgot what I was going to say and then I brought that up to continue the podcast, but let me go back straight away. Yeah, <laughs> doing that shit. Um, one, thing that, one thing that ruined it for me for school was the homework. Really pissed me off, like to be honest with you. Like really ruined my life, I think so. Because I would go to school, I would, you know, hate that shit and then I would go on breaks which was freaking amazing I'd go back to class hate that shit even more and then go home and that was the time that I needed to figure out who I was that was so the time where I was huh so there's an argument and I don't know how true it is but there's an argument that the increase in homework load is because the teachers can't teach the curriculum during the hours they have now, I don't say that as a reflection of the teachers. I say that as a reflection of the curriculum. Yeah. I like teachers, generally speaking. I haven't had many good ones, but the, the two good ones I've had literally changed my life. So I have an appreciation yeah. for teachers. Um, and I think most of them mean well. And I, I, don't, I don't begrudge someone who's become disenfranchised with their profession yeah. They, they had good I, intentions, you know. Yeah, and I think most, I think all of them actually have good intentions. I think I wouldn't say any of them changed my life, but um, I think I found a couple ones that were amazing. Um, there was one girl that there was a her name was Miss Forster, bro. I wanna, bro. Like I'm getting mad just talking about this girl, bro. <laughs> like you have no idea how much resentment, like hate, I have. Like towards towards Miss Forster, you know what I mean? Look, let me tell you this small story, if you don't mind. Um, there was once, right? I have, this is psychology class, okay? Now, I don't think you're going to give a shit about this, but I'm going to say it anyway because I think it's interesting. So this class was nice, but what I hated about it is that you had to remember every single word by book what it means so if she if she asks you what does this mean and you give her the right answer but it's not the exact answer that it says on the book you, that's a like that's wrong right that's what pissed me off but there was once where we had nine questions nine huge questions that we had to answer right and she said i i came like i missed that day so i handed my homework late i are you with me by the way yep yeah, I was just making sure you're not falling asleep. Um, <laughs> boring our story. Um, so I finished these, I think, seven questions that were really long questions. And I went, and I know she hates me. I went to class and I said, Miss Foster, I finished it. And she, she goes, oh, really? That's good. You finished it in one day. That's really good. Uh, and I know she hates me so much. So I gave her the book, right? And she said, you know what? Can you put it on my desk? And I'll, I'll read out the answers and I'll correct it for you and I'll be right back. Um, tomorrow with the right answers right so I put it on her desk and I ripped up like like a, a one centimeter piece of paper and I put it on top of the book right on her desk put the do put the book there and I put the little paper right on top um, of the book and then I went to my locker finished up I kept checking through the window to see if she corrected it I went home went back the next day and then I checked the mirror, that little piece of paper was still in the same exact spot. Go back to class, and then she's walking to the to the class, and she opens the book, has a 15-second look, and she says, Muhammad, I'm sorry, it's a fail. Brutal. 
brutal. That shit ruined my life, bro. That shit, man, you have no idea how much, like, man. Like, I played her, you know what I mean? But I still didn't say anything, um, which was crazy. Have you had any really bad experiences in school? Like, things like that? Um, I'm, I'm amazed at how good of a school uh, experience I had. I, I was at wow. a lower socioeconomic school in the, the area I grew up in, which uh, the three kids committed suicide while I was in school. Um, we had uh, two, two of the worst gangs in New Zealand um, lived in the city that I, I grew up in. Um, and one of my friends got jumped by, by one of them and stabbed. Um, I was a nerd, very, very, very much a nerd. Um, but honestly, aside from a, a bit of bullying um, around, like, my intelligence, which never really made sense to me, um, yeah. I, I didn't have too many issues. I got in a couple fights, but from, from the teachers, the teachers either loved me or were really disheartened by me. The ones that were disheartened knew what I could achieve and didn't understand why I didn't just do a little bit more so that I would pass. Um, and I remember one English teacher gave me an assignment and... Um, I just completely forgot about it, didn't want to do it. And and then a month later or whatever, she's like, okay, there's assignments are due tomorrow. And I was like, oh crap. So I stayed up till like two in the morning, did it, handed it in. Oh, I did I did three quarters of it or half of it or something and handed it in. And she looked at it and she went, Where's the rest of it? And I went, Yeah, it was two in the morning. I that's all I did. I know it's a fail. And she's like, do you understand that if you had to finish this, it would have been the best in the class? Wow. And I went, probably, but I, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately, I, I think um, I have, I don't have trouble relating to people that had bad schooling experiences, but I was, I was kind of that kid that was so smart he was getting into trouble and didn't really understand that that's what was happening. Um, mm. Kind of, I guess Sheldon, in a way, from Big Bang Theory. If you watch that, but yeah, I'm definitely, yeah. I'm definitely not that smart. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's so smart that sometimes he does some dumb shit. Though it's like he's, he's retarded smart. <laughs> I'm, I'm smart enough to understand social conventions most of the time. <laughs> there, there, was, there was one episode which was hilarious. Let me just say this quickly. It was like. Like he was saying, he woke up from a dream and he was a million times bigger, but everything was the same size. And then someone asked him, how do you know you were a million times bigger? And he was like, man, I was wearing a million size pants. And I was like, bro, this shit is crazy. Like, <laughs> I was like what the hell is going on? But um, that's crazy. Um, can I ask you, because you said um, something about suicide before. And I, I'm sorry if I... Um, if I touch on this, because I know it's a sensitive topic. Um, I've had one uh, girl in my class before, and I think it was year 11 and 12, and she was really cool. Like, I talked to her almost every day. Um, yeah, it's kind of sad. But a couple of years after I finished school, I think around four to five years, I heard that um, um, 
she, you know, like she ended it. Like, I don't know how to say this in like, in a, like a, like a cool way, but like, it, like, yeah, she was like suicide type of thing. And it really like, I don't know, like you, you feel so weird about it. Um, Death in general, I feel very awkward about. Yeah. Uh, one of my sister's friends ended her life. Um, which I felt extremely weird about. Um, I, I, I feel weird about it because I've attempted suicide um, when I was 16 and I had uh, clinically diagnosed depression for about 18 months, uh, the end of which was my attempted suicide. Uh, but then I... Uh, a friend saved my life through a phone call, but um, after I, that, I, um, I sort of went, well, if I can't even kill myself, maybe I should give living a try properly. Mm. And and so I, um, it took me a month, but I actually got out of my depression without drugs or anything, without any, any um, treatment per se from an, in a uh, pharmaceutical sense. And so on the one hand, I really, really struggle because I know what it's like. I've been there. And honestly, you, it's not as bad as you think it is. Like you just have to make the choice. And, and once you make the choice, there is so many different ways that you can get out of depression. The problem is when you're in it, it's crushing. It's absolutely crushing. And it's, it's, um, it's something that I, I gained a lot more understanding about when I was studying hypnosis, but your, your perception creates your reality. And when you're depressed, your perception shrinks like a, kind of like a cone, if you, if you want to think about it that way. And, and so you, you end up with this very small cone that you can only focus on certain things. And because of the way I think our brains are wired, and this is me speculating, we are genetically predisposed to look at look out for bad things because that's what survival depends on. If you have a very small cone with which to perceive the world with and you're more likely to see bad things, then it makes sense that you would see more bad things. <laughs> but if you if you grow the cone and you make it bigger, then proportionally theoretically you will see less bad things the reticular activating system has a bunch of stuff to do with them yes chemicals in the brain and all that sort of stuff but at a very fundamental level um but people commit suicide um as an act of control um they feel so out of control and crushed that it's like the only thing left that they feel they have any control over and I, I would say, looping back to the school system, is the school system does a very, very good job of making us feel like we have no control. Do you think it 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 pushes people to that edge? I, I think, uh, look, you, you put anyone in the right situation and they'll do things they never thought they would do, mm. including kill people. But I think... The school system, it, it was originally designed to pump out factory workers. We don't live in that time anymore. 
and we're exposed to so much more information. So I, I think what it does is it creates this horrible case of cognitive dissonance where we know it doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up with what we think. But it's just so much part of our culture that no one else is prepared to say, you know what, you're right, it actually doesn't make sense. And so we think we're crazy. And, and when you start thinking you're crazy, you stop trusting your instincts. You stop listening to that higher power or God or whatever you want to call it. Almost every single kid on the planet is in tune with that. And as they grow up and they go through this, this wonderful thing called education system, they learn to stop listening to that. And I, I think there is a risk with that in that, yeah, if you, if you go far enough down that rabbit hole, you end up feeling like you have no control over anything except whether or not you do something stupid, like kill yourself. But on the flip side of that, I think if you can hold on to it and you can you can say, I, I don't like this, and yes, actually, I don't have control. Because this, this is the twist. We actually have control over Sweet F.A., that's the, the real hilarious thing about it in a, in a very sort of sardonic way. We have so little control, but what we do have control over is our perception. And so if you take the perception and you go, you know what, I don't control anything, I may as well kill myself. And instead you say, you know what, I don't control anything, which means nothing really freaking matters, so I may as well just enjoy it. It's a really subtle difference, but honestly that difference saved my life. Mm. No, I was going to ask you what what changed, but you said something. There's one there's some one thing that you said was really nice. You said your perception is your reality. Um, so you would you yeah, just like you said, it was a, just a small mindset change that did it for you. What exactly would you say that that what was the one thing that you think changed your perception? Um, I can tell you exactly what it was. Um, it was two things which caused me to do a particular, I, I changed my behavior in a particular way. So the, the first thing was um, I remembered at a, a seminar that my mom had sent me to when I was about seven years old, they did this experiment with us where they held up a piece of paper and, and made us say what color it was and then sort of, we had a discussion around perception because to us the paper looked white, but because of how the lighting was, the person holding it up saw the paper as grey. And then following on from that, they talked about choice and these two things were highly correlated. Um, and and the, the experiment with choice was um, chocolate or vanilla, choose, and then you choose and then they say, okay, chocolate, choose. Well, there isn't a choice. Well, there is because you can choose to accept chocolate. And so so those two ideas, the perception, and and you can, no matter what your perception is, you can choose to accept what you perceive or not. It's still a choice that you can make. And and the other thing was in a book I'd read at some point, um, I read that it takes 18 seconds for the um, hypothalamus to pump out enough chemicals in your, in your brain to completely change your emotional state at a, at a physiological level. And so I, I said, okay, 
I, I really can't freaking deal with feeling like crap. Like if I feel like crap, I spiral. So instead of feeling like crap, every single time I start to feel like crap, I'm going to stop what I do. And for 20 seconds, I'm not going to do anything else except remember all the times I felt good. And this was really hard. Um, I, I put a, a 20 second countdown timer on my watch, the Casio that I mentioned earlier, good old G-Shock. Um, and every, every time I would start to feel jealous or scared that my girlfriend would leave me or that I was going to flunk school or that I wasn't good enough or whatever, it, I would just stop what I was doing. I would take some deep breaths until I felt in a neutral enough space to be able to think about something good. Cause it's really hard to go from negative to good. You kind of have to go to neutral first. And, and then I would, I would just close my eyes and I actually did this while I was biking once and, and decided that was a bad idea. So then I, I stopped biking and I would do it and then I'd start biking again afterwards. But, um, and so I closed my eyes and I would, I would remember what it was like to walk along the beach with my girlfriend. I'd remember what it was like to get hugged by my mom before she moved away. I would remember what it was like to be having a land with my friends playing Warcraft. Um, I'd remember what it was like um, building building fires at, at parties and getting drunk around a bonfire. Um, mm. And just all those positive memories to the point where I was almost crying with happiness. And then I would open my eyes and I would just continue. And then at the start, it was really hard. It was like every five, 10 minutes, there was some sort of negative thought that would send me into a spiral. So I, yeah, it was, it was really hard. Um, but after, after a month of doing it, I mean, I, I didn't even think about it anymore. I just went, oh, that's a trigger. Good thing I like my life now. Um, mm. And it, it's, it's something really simple, but it's something I've told every single person that, that has said they're struggling with depression. Because honestly, if you make the choice to do something, and, and I'm sorry if I offend anyone by implying that they're choosing to be depressed, the reality is what it is we we have control over our perception if nothing else if you choose sorry go please continue now go ahead yeah no i wanted to ask you and sorry for cutting you off i know because i feel like you were going to say something important but when you say your perception is your reality do you and and when you change that perception to something positive like thinking about a good part of your life um do you think that's forgetting about reality? What if what if your perception what is reality? Your, what, 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 yeah, what is reality? Like what what if your reality is your actual perception and not the other way around and that you need to actually tackle the problems that you have and instead of forget about them? Well, um I, I don't know if there's anyone in the room with you, but if I was to start describing the characteristics of a particularly attractive member of the sex that you prefer as a male of an age, I can estimate, I'm guessing if I went into enough detail, there'd be a physiological response. The reality is there's not someone in the room with you, 
but you are having a physiological response. So I, I would argue that reality is what we all agree it is. It's our, like, shared perception, if you will. But your perception, your perception dictates whether or not you see the $20 that someone dropped on the ground. Your perception dictates whether or not you view getting fired as a good thing or a bad thing. Your perception dictates whether or not you view doing an extra set of push-ups at the gym is uh, fun or horrible or not worth it. Your perception dictates whether or not you think an apple is a better snack than a Snickers bar. Yeah, I like that answer. I think you're. I think you're right. I think I'm playing. Um, hey, we can do a simulation. <laughs> then, hey, none of it matters. <laughs> hey, don't start this conversation. I'm telling you right now, we're fucking on a computer, man. Let me ask you this. I was. Um, I think it was podcast number five or six. I think. Um, we could, and I want to literally ask you, not just make a statement, but ask you as well, because um, let's actually get into this. Um, there's going to be a point in time and just f- if the moon doesn't, something happens and it crashes into earth or we get hit by a fucking rock and we all die. Um, let's say for example, earth lives on for another a hundred thousand years or a million to a billion years, for example, if it does, um, there's going to be a point in time where we can create life, not just not recreational there's gonna yeah there's gonna be point in time whether it's a million years from now um that we're gonna create life so for example um we can make okay so right now we can sometimes choose the color of the eye color of our child there's like scientists that can do that right now there's like um uh, what's the word, um, tests and stuff like that being done where it's actually possible to change how your child looks. There's going to be a time where we're going to co- actually create a minuscule human that's a thousand zeros to one the size of us and put him in a ball where he can live. And that ball can be so big compared to him that it, they, all they see is black, just like we see the universe as black. Do you, like, I don't know, what, what are the chances of this is actually being real um, and this being a simulation? Uh, I feel like those are two different topics. Um, well, tell, go so ahead, the, man, the, go into it. human, I don't have a perfect understanding of nanotech, but my understanding is the certain biological constraints that would prevent that being a simulation in, in the sense that... Um, in terms of the simulation hypothesis. Um, I'm not saying that you couldn't make a miniature person that would live in the world's smallest person with like 24 inches tall or something. But um, at at some point from a a purely physics level, you start to run into issues with like cooling and heat and stuff like that for the amount of neurons you need. And we don't know enough about consciousness right now to – know whether or not that would be sentient. I think but w- well, I think I think we will in a million might, years though. But it might be one of the things where this um, having a mosquito sized person is not feasible, but we have enough mm. 
information to spin up an AI, which is a perfect replica of a human brain at infancy and have that in a closed system, um, Mm. which would be a simulation in in the sense of the simulation hypothesis. Um, The simulation hypothesis on its own is an interesting one. And yes, the math suggests that we might be in one. Ultimately, I don't think it matters because for all intents and purposes, we're alive by whatever definition we choose to use, which is pretty skewed and tends to change a bit, which is interesting in and of itself. Um, And as far as I'm concerned, I have the agency to pick up the water bottle on my uh, table and, and have a drink and put it back down. My experience of that is congruent. If I am a simulation, great. I may have some feelings about my less than benevolent overlords. However, I still have to live my life in the simulation. If we're not in a simulation, all of that holds true except for the benevolent overlords part, which then you can have the conversation about consciousness of God or some creator deity or whatever. But at the end of the day, the the practical application of the simulation hypothesis, in in my opinion, kind of doesn't matter because I still have to eat, Mm. I think. And I, I still like to go mountain biking and swim in the ocean and want my kids to grow up to be reasonably functioning members of society. I, I don't think if scientists turned around tomorrow and said, yep, congressive proof, we're in a simulation, I, I don't think the world would turn to anarchy. If it was going to do that, it would have done that many times over before. And, and you know, we've still lumbered on as a civilization, so I think we would still lumber on as a limp on as a, as a civilization. Um, I think in many ways parts of our our civilization are already simulations in a way. Um, and I, I think there are more meaningful hypotheses that have more application. So if, let, let's run with this. If, if we're in a simulation and part of that simulation, for instance, is that there actually is a God, then... yeah you kind of have to ask, what's the purpose of the simulation? (laughs) Is it to see how, like an ancestry simulation, is it to see how our ancestors would have behaved differently if there actually was a God? My friend friend said that that he had a, I don't know if it was a dream or something, but when he was a kid, he was thinking that there was a child that has God parents and for fun, he created a little globe and just made the universe for fun. Nice. I mean... Well, Some crazy shit. <laughs> yeah, it's not It's not really that crazy. If you look at different cultures, creation myths, <laughs> Maui pulled New Zealand out of the ocean with a magical fish hook 
climbed on its back and hacked it to pieces mm. using an, an oar, which turned into the Southern Alps. Yeah, okay. Cool. I think. <laughs> um, uh. What do you think? What do you, what do you think? And this is a hard question. Like, honestly, if you had to bet your, like everything on it, what would you say? I, I would bet on? that we're in a simulation. Um, simply because okay. mathematically that makes sense. There are a number of assumptions required, but there are, there are a number of assumptions required for us not to be in a simulation. And I've had experiences which I could ex- uh, describe as glitches in the matrix. And honestly, if, if I was pushed, that's where I'd put my money, just because of my experience and the math. I would be happy to be wrong. I would be happy to be right. I, I, don't, I don't really care either way, if that makes sense. I think what's more interesting is is the notion that we aren't just humans, that we are more and that we actually have a lot more control over our reality than we think we do. I think that is a very, very interesting philosophical conversation. <laughs> mm. What do you th- and uh, well, okay? So I'm gonna literally finish this off in five minutes. By the way, everyone, I'm gonna actually cut this into two pieces um, because there's so it's just too much information being given right now. So the first one will be a more professional and more bit about business, and I think that's an important topic. And I'm gonna make a, a second part of it and um, talk about more about things that I think don't really matter, but actually matter at the same time. Um, yeah, but I think it's good to think about it though because like. I don't know. I feel like if you, when you don't think about it, you just get into this mindset of things being too serious. And I love business, but when you think about business for six months in a row and you don't think about the things that are so creative like like life and things like that, I just feel like I get stuck in the business part. So I like to change up the topics, I guess. Um, what I wanted to ask you is what do you, what do you think happens when um, – People oh, die. wow. Um, I don't think you're going to finish in five minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've had some really interesting changes in my beliefs around this. Um, and I, I don't really know what I believe at this point. When I was younger, I was pretty content with it just being, that's it, you're done, you worm food. Um, and then I, I had an experience which I could only describe as a ghost which, you know, doesn't really line up with that view of the world. Um, wait, 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 wait. Okay, well, I'm in, sitting in a dark room right now, so I was, I'm like, going to sleep it was, in a couple of hours. It was completely hours. benign. Um, it's nothing bad. A, a few people in my family have had interesting experiences where some force outside of themselves has acted on either them or something nearby them. Um, and it's it's been beneficial. So, not to, has that happened um, to you? N- not that I'm aware of in the beneficial sense. But I, I was at a um, a Christmas dinner and saw a a, wine, uh, a Chardonnay flute, 
um, move about an inch with water in it. Um, and my granddad also saw it. And then about 10, 15 minutes later, we saw it move about an inch and a half again in a different direction. And that time my uncle saw it as well. And so we spent the next 45 minutes trying to make this, this flute move with or without water in it, with or without windows open, lifting the table and all that sort of thing. Um, see, I, I have no good explanation for that from a, a scientific standpoint. Um, mm. um, looking back at it, do you think it was imagination? And I'm sure it's not, but do you think, or do you think that was something that was going on there? I, there's no, there's no, I mean, I, yes, I was a weird kid, but I don't think I was weird enough that both my granddad and my uncle would indulge me with something like that. So I, I, I can't rule it out. Um, I used to think that I saw radio waves um, and since growing older, I realized I have a synesthesia. So after thinking I was crazy for about 10 years, it may have turned out that I actually wasn't. Um, so I, I really don't know. I, I, like I said, I would, I would say a ghost. Um, I mean, it may not be, it could be a higher dimensional being. Um, it, it could be beings on another plane. Um, I mean, now that I think about it, uh, a four-dimensional being interacting with our plane would explain that type of movement. Um, A.K.A. ghost. Uh, you could call them ghosts. I mean, we, ghost has a certain connotation to it. I'm, I'm very specifically yeah. saying four-dimensional being to avoid that connotation. But we can use it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care. I, I, yeah. I don't associate bad things with ghosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um fuck <laughs> uh, it's crazy because i haven't had any kind of those experiences but i feel like if i would it would haunt my shit like i would be gone um so luckily i haven't had any kind of experiences like that um my friend he, he was i believe yeah he said it, it was in india where there was this one girl in the she was living in the um fuck in the, in third world kind of places well, not third world but like there's it's a, like an apartment complex and there's one lady that would jump off from like the third floor to the ground and she'll be okay and she'll like walk really crazily and there was like a devil they said that there was a devil inside of her um and she would yell like unbelievably loud with different noises and things like that that would come out and she was like i don't know um he told me this shit like a couple of years ago and it like messed with my head and he said that he th- saw things and things like that, which was crazy. Have you had anything else happen um, to you? Or oh, not to you, but you've seen? Um, I've had some weird experiences, which I, again, could put down to some sort of paranormal thing. Um, but again, since so since, since I, I studied hypnosis, my perception on a lot of the stuff has changed. Um Carl Jung's Big Red Book is a really interesting read if you, uh, A, if you can stomach it, and B, if you're open to symbolism. Um, But I I think we have a lot of biases um, as humans, and unfortunately they, they lend themselves to us 
wanting to explain things away rather than being happy without an explanation. And so things like um, I I woke up one night around midnight, um, couldn't move, was breathing, and it felt like when I breathed, took a breath in, uh, I would I would stop and then something else would keep breathing. At the time, that was fairly traumatic and terrifying, and I had been playing with black magic. So to me, at the time, I was like, oh, crap, some sort of demon's got me or something like that. Now that I'm older, and it, I mean, I've sort of figured this out when I was maybe seven or eight years older than that, but... Now um, I do Wim Hof style breathing and I've realized that if I am lying down or sitting in a certain position, I, c- I can kind of double my lung capacity. And, and so there's that secondary sort of breath that ends up happening. So I'm no longer freaked out about that. I know... Yeah, let's just, let's just stick with that thought, to be honest, because I don't... Bro, that creeped me the hell out when you just said... Someone else was breathing. <laughs> well, I mean, all these things are cultural, right? And they, they stem from um, religion, yeah. which has been used to control the population. Um, and, to some, and to some degree to pass on knowledge. So I, I think it's important to look at the symbolism and understand where it's come from, but to also look at where we are and understand that those things were way more relevant when those books were written. Mm. What are your thoughts on... I still haven't answered the question, by the way. <laughs> um, I forgot the question. What did I ask you? What, what do I think happens when people die? Oh, shit. We took a 360. Yeah, what do you think? Um, again, if I was pushed to answer, I think I think we go back to source. I think, I think we've been here before. Um, I would say that I believe in reincarnation although I wouldn't fight someone over it. Um, I've... Can I, can, I, can I stop you for a second? Yeah. Um, I, have a, I have a thought about this, and um, I've had a, this conversation with someone else before, and she um, believes in reincarnation, and she's a vegetarian, right? Mm-hmm. So she's saying that um, in reincarnation, people that are, people that are bad um, get reincarnated into someone or something that will suffer, um, and that will be the the consequences for the actions, right? Mm-hmm. The reincarnation part. Um, and the way I guess I think about it is, let's say someone dies and they get reincarnated, that thing or person that gets reincarnated doesn't know what their past life was. So the consequences don't mean anything since it's not teaching any lesson. Um, so I would, I would run with that and I would say based on my experiences with doing past life regression, and I would highly encourage you to have a look into that if you've got an afternoon Mm -hmm. free, um, the general sort of consensus, and this is extremely unscientific and it's all very anecdotal, but the general theme, if you will, is that when you die, you're greeted by a council, if you will, and you review your life. You figure out if you 
learnt the lessons that you went into the life with the intention of learning and then you plan out your next life and you pick what lessons you're going to learn in that life and what sort of form you'll take in order to do that. And where, where the consequences come in is that when you enter the, the physical plane, for lack of a better word, you're disconnected from that kind of higher consciousness. And so the, the you that is you in this life that does the bad shit and hurts the people and runs the company that pollutes the Amazon or whatever, that you is a part of the greater you and at your death you will go back and be rejoined with it. And so the greater you gets the learnings and then decides what to do next in your experience of consciousness and you, you then have a new life. Yes, devoid of the, those those experiences, but your your life is dictated based on your previous one to some degree and the learnings you did or didn't get. And and yes, you start from scratch, but your the higher you isn't starting from scratch. The higher you is always learning. Um, and the re- one of the reasons I like this is because of a research paper that was put out by the CIA that talks about infinite. Uh, consciousness and being able to tap into that and if instead of saying there's a council and you pick and choose and all that sort of thing if you say okay there's one consciousness and we're all a part of it it makes sense that a consciousness would want to experience as many different things as possible a truly unbiased consciousness would be able to love and cherish all experiences regardless of whether or not they were bad because of contrast, if you can, we have this horrible thing, um, hedonism, where we, I think this is hedonistic, I think it's hedonism, I'm not sure, but we, we get used to things. So um, you, you can have the Porsche and the beach batch and the great job and the sexy girlfriend or boyfriend, um, and then after a while you start to get depressed, <laughs> which makes no sense. But the contrast gives us pleasure, gives us enjoyment from, from going from struggling to, to kicking ass, gives us the ability to appreciate the kicking ass. And taking that back to the one consciousness gives the one consciousness the ability to experience more contrast and more of life. So we diverging a bit, very deep topic, happy to go into it more later, but I, I would say I, I do believe in past lives, but maybe not in the traditional sense. Um, and I, I think we're part of something much bigger. And I, that excites me. That makes me happy. I like that. I can respect that. I think it sounds crazy, but I've been told I'm crazy, so I'm fine with it. Well, yeah, it is ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> it is crazy because, like, but it's good, though, because you have your own belief. And well, good is a human construct, way- and so is evil. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, would you say that a coyote killing a rabbit is evil? Um... Well, I believe I would say that's evil, but it depends on the perspective of the of the coyote. 
So the, the coyote's got to kill to eat, right? It's a carnivore. Yeah. So, yeah, another example is would you say there's an evil tree? Is there an evil treat? Tree. What's that word? Tree. Like an oak, an oak tree oh. or a willow, oh, sequoia. Um, what do you mean it's an evil tree? Exactly. That's what I mean. <laughs> the, oh. the concept of applying some of our, the labels that we use without th- thinking too much about them to elements of nature, it falls down very, very fast. And, and that's, that's kind of... Well, that, well that's, some, that's something that it can think for itself and this is something that cannot think for itself. Right, and, and that's why I say they're, they're man-made concepts. I don't, I don't think a coyote hunting thinks it's evil. I think it's trying to survive. Yeah. I think too, yeah, a I, rapist I think hunting, so I think our society would call it evil. And I, I think if you were given the opportunity to understand why they were doing that, it may stem from some sort of childhood issues around needing to be in control and feeling powerful. I don't think wanting to be in control and feeling powerful are evil. I think expressing them in that way is abhorrent and mm. should not be tolerated. But I I wouldn't say what's driving them is evil. But again, I have a very skewed perspective on the world and some, some very different ways of thinking about things as you've probably figured out. Mm. I've had a um, a dream once where, and this is like after me talking about stuff like this, I've had a dream where, um, and it was a, you know, one of those really realistic dreams that like it's literally like, it's pretty much real. It's one of those um, where I was living just like this, but at the end of the dream, and I don't know how I figured it out, but I figured out that everything else was an act and I was the only reality. So like Truman Show sort of thing, but not really. Like, for example, like you're living, but I'm actually, like me, I'm not me. I'm doing this podcast because I'm fake and I'm doing it for you. Like I'm not a real human, yeah. I'm a robot. And everyone else around you is a robot. The entire planet is robotic. You're the only real human being and everything is an act for you. There's um there's a good poem about that. Have you um it's called The Egg. Have you heard it or read it? Uh no. It's um it's good. Give it give it a, a it's it's like two or three minutes on YouTube, I think. It's just called The Egg. Um it's a really good poem. I, I think there's there's potentially something to, to that. Um, the Boltzmann brain hypothesis is one interpretation of that. I think if you want to get really esoteric at a, at a very fundamental level, that is essentially true. We, we're all stardust and quantum mechanics tells us basically that we're all just fluctuations in, in waveforms and, and therefore everything is connected. Um, but I, I know that's also not what you mean. Um, but, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's interesting. I've, I've had dreams like that. Um, I, I find them interesting. 
vivid dreams are always really good, even if they're horrible. They're really good because a really vivid dream uh, typically means that your your unconscious mind has very very clear symbology that it's working with and working through mm-hmm. some sort of issue for you with or something like that. There's there's change work going on at a very uh, deep level. Um, and it, I don't know when I like yeah, especially like when you wake up after something like that, you're just like, okay, thank like, thank you, I guess God for you know I'm living right now, so that's cool. Um, what do, do you know? Do you know? Do you know what dreams are though? Like because we're sleeping and then we close our eyes, but we can still see pictures. Like I want to ask you something. Like I haven't talked properly with a blind person before, but I've heard that they dream as well. How does their brain know? what reality is when their eyes haven't seen it yet? Uh, well, firstly, it depends how blind. Um, yeah. Because there's there's massively varying degrees of, of blindness. Mm-hmm. But um, on, on the presumption that you're talking about someone who was blind from birth, for instance, and can't distinguish outlines um, or shades, um, let's say has no eyes, for example... There's some evidence to suggest that communication in in, in the womb um, has an impact. And when when you talk about a chair, you and I know that we're talking about a chair, but the image I have in my head is probably very different from yours, but there will be aspects that are the same. If a blind person feels enough chairs, for lack of a better word, they will have some sort of representation in their mind, which is to say that they can see a chair if someone were to say, I'm sitting on a chair. Um, and and it would be, you know, within some margin of error, as good as me saying I'm sitting on a chair now and you imagining what that chair looks like. Um, so I, I think on the one hand, our brains are incredibly powerful at generalizing. It's one of the best things we can do. And building models are of the world. And our unconscious or our subconscious mind is extremely good at building up a, a, a symbolic landscape uh, that that mirrors that map of the world. Now, the map is not the territory. It never is. And, and the symbolic map is, is even less so. But if you, if you think about how we're brought up, even someone who's blind would be told stories. Um, you know, a girl, unfortunately, is more likely to hear about fairy princesses and godmothers and all that sort of thing. And a guy is more likely to hear about what our culture deems masculine. Um, and, and so they'll have these imaginings, which will become their symbols. Um, you know, if they have a strong male figure in their life, it doesn't matter if they can't see them, they're going to have a notion of what a father is. And so they're going to have a father archetype. They're going to have an idea of what a mother is again. And, and so they'll have a, a mother 
archetype from the stories that we introduced to sage archetypes and villain archetypes and all that sort of stuff. So when you when you put all these symbols and models together, you end up with this big mixing bowl and your your unconscious mind uses that to solve problems for you, basically. Like the whole point of your unconscious mind, as far as I've been able to work out, is to keep you alive. And the best way to do that, generally, is to help you do the things you want to do, unless they're unsafe. And it's not if you think they're unsafe, it's if your unconscious mind thinks they're unsafe. When you dream, it is a safe environment for you to play out scenarios or look at problems in a different way, which is why we can have really weird and interesting dreams, which don't seem to have anything to do with problems we're facing in life. But then when we wake up and we think about those problems, all of a sudden they don't seem that big or we have a solution or or whatever. Really long-winded. I don't know if that answers the question, but I I think Mm. dreams are the symbolic working that our unconscious mind does in order to process stuff. And and that's how a blind person could also have a dream, if that makes sense. Do you think that our brain might know more than us and through dreams it might be trying to tell us something that we don't know? Um, I I definitely think that's possible. Again, the CIA paper I mentioned talks about the, the brain operating in um, two, two hemispheres. One is a, uh, a bite encoder and the other one is a receiving array. And so the uh, receiving array receives frequency vibration and communicates that to the bite encoder, which translates that into something we can understand. If you're not comfortable with that as a explanation. Uh, the the Bible says we we're uh, children of God. We're made in His image. Um, we, you know, drink drink of um, I forget the words. I haven't read it properly or all the way through. But there's various passages that sort of imply that there's a bit of God in all of us, or that we're somehow connected to God. And if if you want to run down that path. Again, God would need a way to communicate with you. Whether or not you believe in evolution is irrelevant. We, we have this way of processing things when we're not awake. And it's way, way more powerful than our conscious mind. So it would make sense for it to do most of the heavy lifting. So I, I, I would say yes, if you think there is some sort of higher intelligence or God or consciousness i i think that dreams would definitely be a way for it to communicate with you absolutely mm. i don't think it'd be the only way but i i do think it would be a way yeah something to think about right something lots of things to think, to think about, about. <laughs> yes yeah. yeah, no seriously this was this was really cool i'm gonna i am gonna end it here and i actually feel kind of sad because you have been freaking amazing, to be honest. You're, you're just the power of mate. You're a, you're a brain, aren't you? You're just, you just, you just go some, you just go some places. Um, everyone, 
I want to thank you. Okay, this is actually the most, honestly, this is my, my favorite podcast yet, I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so, no, absolutely. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I really, really freaking hope you've enjoyed these two episodes because <laughs> I'm splitting it into two parts. Um, but yeah, 10, 20 p.m. now, almost, I think, been an hour and a half, maybe even two hours. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you so freaking much for listening. You guys have the most beautiful night of your lives. Um, uh, today, um, I was speaking to Caleb. Caleb, what was your business name Business name again? Uh, Echo Marketing, E-K-O-H Echo. Marketing. E-K-O-H Marketing, love it. Um, his name is going to be in the title of the podcast, so please check him out as well. Check out his business. Any businesses there, please contact him if you're especially an e-commerce company. Um, just especially the way you explained everything, you know exactly what you're talking about. Thank you for everyone for listening. Have the most beautiful, beautiful night of your life. And I hope you guys enjoyed this. I'll see you in episode number 10, which might be live. So I'll see you guys then. Thank you for listening, everyone. Take care.